Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam. Welcome back to another episode. In today's episode, we're talking to Abigail Forsyth, the co-founder and managing director of Keep Cup. From humble beginnings starting a cafe in 1998 with her brother Jamie to now running a multi-million dollar year company, Abigail sought to combat the extensive amount of disposable packaging that was on the market. Today, we're gonna sit down with her and really find out how she grew the business from the local market through to the international stage and the importance of sustainability in the products and the challenges that she's faced along the way. Please welcome to the podcast, Abigail Forsyth. Abigail, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, 
How did you get your job? I made it up, didn't I? So I, I just, I tried to create a solution to a problem. And that was in, back in, we started thinking about in 2007, we had a cafe, we saw the rise and rise of the disposable cup and thought this is a, a disaster. Um, in, and invented Keep Cup as a way to try and push behavioural change to get people to reuse, to get disposable cups, I guess, banned is the ultimate goal. I thought I could do it from my garage and here I am. Yeah. 13 years later, still doing it, still telling the same <laughs> stories. To me, like the disposable cup is, it's like a symbol of convenience culture. And, you know, of all the plastic products made in the world, 40% of them are single use products. And most, only 9% of all plastic ever made has been recycled. So there's an environmental disaster in all the plastic and products we're consuming. And if you think about coffee and a disposable cup, do you really need it? Like you could have mm. it's the cultural change as well. Like you'll be drinking it in, that sort of thing. So yeah, okay. the, one of the reasons I started Keep Cup is we saw this problem and I thought, why hasn't someone done something about this? It seems so obvious, like, the, you know, disposable cups can't be recycled, so w why do we have them at all? Um, and then I read this book by Jared Diamond called Collapse and it's why societies collapse in the world. And yes. he talks about how most of the time it's a cultural change. It's a cultural norm people hang on to that means they can't survive anymore. So the, the Norse went to Greenland and they refused to eat fish. They wanted to have chickens and cows and on Easter Island, they wanted to make those giant statues and they burned down, took down all the trees to, to build them and then they couldn't live there anymore. So it's, you know, things that we're doing right now in our world, we're hanging on to fossil fuels, we're hanging on to all these things that we think we need that we could easily live without and survive. Yeah, wow. So um, you came up with the idea for Keep Cup. How did you bring it to life? Talk me through those early days. I think a lot of people watching this, um, listening or have a product idea yeah, in their head yeah, and and yeah. you know this is this is a first concept right like there's been many copycats but you guys were the first right we're absolutely the first so we're my it was with my brother Jamie and so we're running these cafes in Melbourne called blue bag they're all based on convenience culture so you we were one of the first people to bring in a takeaway coffee cup and then I thought, this is terrible. So I went down to Maya to buy, a, it's a department store in Australia, to buy um, just a reusable cup to sell. And there were all these giant thermoses. They didn't fit under the group heads of the machine. You couldn't make a coffee in them. I thought, oh, well, maybe we should make one. And then I thought, well, well I don't really know anything about manufacturing or, or anything like that. Um, so we sort of thought about it. And I guess that's when I read that book about a cultural change and the behavior change of the business has always excited me the sustainability mission has excited me so we um went and got it designed built a prototype and i took it to a manufacturer a local manufacturer he goes what are you doing he's like this is it's just a plastic cup are you crazy he goes i've got all these tools over here of people who have had much better ideas than you um and but they haven't been able to sell them so unless you can sell the product don't even bother and initially I was like a bit upset or, you know, a bit offended, mm, yes. but it was the best advice ever. So from that we were running the um, blue bag. We called through our catering um, of that business. We started calling up all these different companies. Yes. Um, we'd get through the, the catering manager who put us through to the sustainability manager who had no money. So then we went to marketing and then we were pitching to say, look, you're in, putting in these six-star green buildings, you um, got solar on the roof but everyone's drinking out of disposable cups you're not matching your message to your aim uh, and finally 
we got a, um, a meeting with National Australia Bank down at the Docklands. Yes. And I had a prototype. I couldn't even get the lid off it. It had like this skinny little band around it. I just had it in my hand and my brother's like, you're going to even put it in a box or anything? So I put it in a shoebox, <laughs> uh, rode my bike down to the Docklands, met their sustainability team and yes. sort of didn't really anticipate I'd have to even pitch it, mm. pitched it, and they bought 5000 Wow. So your first order was a B2B order, not direct-to-consumer. Yeah, B2B order and we didn't even have – we hadn't built the tool. It, like that order paid for the tooling. Ah, there you go. Yeah. And so then what happened next? So I, well, the funny, then I went downstairs and I called my dad. I go, Dad, they're saying they're going to buy five and a half thousand. He's like, wait till you get the purchase order. Like he couldn't even yeah. believe that it was going to happen. So um, we got that order. Then we got another order for Energy Australia. Yeah. Um, we del- got the product. Um, it wasn't quite right. The lid was leaking. The thing was too hot. We sent it up to Energy Australia. And I'd sort of t- been telling her what had been going along the way. And she said to me, um, I th- thought this might happen. I've got a backup gift. We're going to send it to our oh and department. When you think you've got it right, we'll we'll take the order back again. So mm. and it was such a great lesson that if you bring people along on the journey and you communicate with them and they're excited about the idea and what you're trying to achieve, they you know, that like mm. was an amazing gift. Like we got like they they'd paid a deposit, we get got to keep that and then fix it and move on. So. Yeah, there you go. So that's really interesting. So that paid for the tooling, that first purchase order. And then at what point in time did you kind of close up the cafes? Do you still have the cafes? No, no. So we closed them probably, I don't know, six months later. Oh, not closed them. We sold them. Yes. Yeah, six months to a year later because this thing, it just took off. Yep. Um, and then we sold it um, Melbourne Design Market. Um, it got on a, a blog called Apartment Therapy and already we started getting orders from the US. Yep. Um, the first person who ordered in Australia – B2C was a nurse and she just said, I, I see all this waste in the hospital that, you know, is necessary yeah. for hygiene, but this is something I can I can do something about it. So Yeah, wow. Okay. Well I want to delve more into this growth journey and how it all came about. But one thing you've said is that entrepreneurship is in your blood. Can you talk about <laughs> that a bit more? Yeah, so my I've got two brothers. I'm the eldest. Um, I started um, Blue Bag with Jamie um, Forsyth, my brother, and um, we, we were in Blue Bag and Keep Cup for 17 years together and then I took over Keep Cup. He started Returner. So I don't know if you know, that's a marketplace of, of reuse, which is oh, um, in Melbourne. Yes. A really terrific business. And my younger renegade brother, Stuart, who's seven years younger than me, um, started Minor Figures Oat Milk. Oh. So we're all – and my dad ran his own business. My grandfather sort of had a plumbing business and, you know, I, and I sort of even – when I talk about that guy who said, this is a stupid idea, the plastic cup, my, my pa always said lots of people have ideas and lots of people, but not many people do them. So don't be afraid to talk about it and share it and, you know, it's, it's the doing that's the hard thing. Mm. Well, let's talk about the doing because manufacturing and design isn't easy and I've always, like I've known a keep cup even before I started Founder. Like I remember seeing it around, you know, people would use it at the office I used to work at and it's like it's really cool. Like it's cool, it's slick, it's uh, there's different colours. Like, yeah, talk us through like how did that come about? Because I think that's a really intimidating thing for people and it often feels like, you know, you've got to place this minimum order quantity and it's like, you know, a lot of money and like, yeah, talk us through. Like how did you work that through? 
probably with a lot, like in retrospect, with a lot of naivety. Yeah. <laughs> in in we we got it, so we we knew we had to get professional designers in, so we um, got industrial designers in to design it. Um, I guess I always imagined I and. It's actually a thing that I didn't know existed at the time where you make something a little bit different but not too different. Yes. But I wanted a cup that you could carry that you would ne- not necessarily know wasn't a disposable cup. Like I thought people would want to do the right thing without necessarily declaring it or standing out. So the first range of products were really sort of subtle, minimalist colours and yes. then it, it just exploded into other things. We knew that branding could be – we always knew that the corporates that would – or even for roasters to brand it might be a – a good thing. So yes. we we designed that silicon band not just to hold um, hold it for heat, but it's an easy way to brand it because you're only shipping a small part to brand rather than the whole product yes. back and forth around. So there was those sort of considerations. We want to stack for um, freight and sustainability. Sustainability was like top of mind right out of the gate. Yes. Um, and the first order we did to Campos Coffee in. So there's another story about that where I went to power the market in Sydney the first time we went to a public show and this girl said to me look I'd really love to carry a reusable cup uh, because I know it's the right thing environmentally but I drink Campos coffee and they're way too cool for that and then the next week Will Young from Campos coffee called up and said I'd like to buy 5,000 of them and so that that was such a lesson that you needed to get on board the baristas the roasters to give permission for reuse. Mm. Um, and then what I was going to say about that is we shipped those cups to the, him in bits because we were like, oh, we're really environmental, we'll <laughs> ship just, and that, that their customers had to build. It was like such a disaster. So we ended up getting a box and, yes, yeah, so a lot of lessons learned along the way. And then Jamie and I were at, um, we went to the New York Retail Gift Fair, I don't know, maybe in 2010, 2011, and then we look around and we're in this booth and there's all these other reusable like thermoses and other yes. reusable cups. I'm like, my God, if I had have known that this all existed, I probably would have been so intimidated to build my product, but I didn't know. So, How come you didn't know? Like did you didn't look online or see these other op- alternatives? I don't know because I was just busy, you know, busy. Wouldn't that be similar? A lot of, I'm just busy doing my thing, busy in my, you know. And I think, you know, I look on that, it gets hard, like it gets harder to innovate as you become a more established business because there's so much more at stake. There's so much more risk involved. Yeah. So six months in, you realised you're onto something, right? And it was because of those corporate orders. You didn't go direct. To, when did you start going direct to consumer? Oh, right out of the gate, but probably we never really paid much attention to that. We haven't. We never really paid much attention to that till like, that just sort of grew and ticked over, and we didn't really think about it. Like yeah. well, I'm a bit late to the digital party. Yes, very late. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, why is that? I don't know. Probably just didn't didn't need to like the yeah. business did well but yeah. i didn't real. i probably didn't realize the potential it had yes um probably a little bit anti-amazon a bit you know wanting to support the independence but yes. that's pretty naive for you to have in yeah. this day and age yeah. um and yeah it was probably the pandemic and and we sold so well through cafes mm. it was such a good place to go and then the pandemic hit and we're like oh we probably need another got you so it was the pandemic that kind of forced you guys to then start looking to focus online. Mm, yeah, and we were always building a B2B site so our, our B2B customers could buy wholesale. But, yeah, the B2C side, we just it just sort of ticked over nicely and I didn't really yeah. give too much thought to it. No, it's interesting. You know, I've got friends that have done, you know, physical products only, like big focus on B2B and it's, it's 
big ticket items, mm. right? It's much easier to do a 30, 50, 100, 200, half a million, million dollar sale with a big corporate and they're selling one, you know, one thing for 20 bucks. Yeah. You're going to sell a lot of things for 20 bucks. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I, I can, I get that and I get, I can respect the focus. So talk to me about some of the hard times or the hurdles in the early days, things that people need to look out for when they're designing or creating their physical product. Testing, testing, testing. So making sure you test it. I, I, I've, I've read, um, I think it was someone on was it Greta Van really says oh if you're not if you're proud of your first product you haven't got it quite right yeah and I was like I'm I was so proud of our first product I thought it was the best but I did look at an early iteration of Keycup Up the other day and went oh <laughs> what is that thing like yeah. you know you do see how you refine it over time so um, who are the people who are going to be the enablers to your product getting off the ground like who's going to use it what problem are you solving. And who are going to be the blockers and how do you overcome those those issues? Talk me through the next stages of scale. What were those major stages? So they were probably opening in the UK, which my younger brother did with yep. his partner, um, and then opening in the US. But I think probably when I think personally about it, the stages for me have been about the team and mm. and and how you manage a team and what that looks like. And I still remember someone turning to me and going, you know, what's my what's my career progression here at Keep Cup, like way back? And I'm like, what? Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and we we got onto B Corp and yep. they actually gave us, uh, like gave me a lot of frameworks about how to um, build a team, manage a team, people need position descriptions, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um and so then the business um, really grew. So we, I say the B Corp stage was one stage. Then um, the business really grew. We had war on waste that absolutely doubled the business overnight. Like, what was that, sorry? So there was a television program called um, War on Waste with Craig Rucastle. Yes. And he went onto a tram and filled it with disposable cups and had a keep cup and talked about keep cup as a, an answer to this the problem of this waste and our business doubled overnight with that. Wow. Yeah. When was this? 2017. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, yeah pre-COVID. Yeah. You, ha, what happened? Like how would you, you manage fulfilment? So that was a, it was really challenging. Like it's, it's really funny. So it's like, you know, great moment for the business, great moment for sustainability and all we could do was work on for like, you know, we called it Project Operational Arms. We just needed people to go because we packed the cups fully. Like we're yeah. assembling them in Fitzroy. So, oh, yeah, wow. it was a full-on time. So the warehouse was working seven days a week, two shifts to, to move the stock through and, and get all the stuff out. Then we we grew out of that space. So then we moved to the Clifton Hill warehouse, this much bigger, bigger warehouse, and then we move in there and then boom, the pandemic hits and the revenue just falls through the floor because, you know, most of our customers are cafe, in cafes, are cafes. Transit. Yeah. yeah. And disposable cups were ban- banned by Starbucks, reusable cups banned by Starbucks. They've only just come back with McDonald's September 20. So three years they've been banned at McDonald's. Wow. So it's a big change. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So um, look, a few things I want to unpack there. Uh, did you know that you were going to be on this I got a call and I missed I missed I can't I missed the call or someone called and said it's going to be this show and he, he invited me onto the tram and I didn't I didn't go 
Because <laughs> you thought it was just like one of many. No, it, well, I would have gone had I, I can't remember exactly what happened now, but I, I, the message never got through to me in time. Like it was, you know, as these things happen, it was sort of last minute and I was, I don't know, doing something with the kids or, yeah. yeah and yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, there you go. And then talk me through COVID. Like how did you guys get through that? Yeah, it's been cut tough getting through COVID. So we shut the US office and moved to 3PL, which has actually been a great move in terms of, I don't know, profitability and that sort of thing and focusing yep. more on D2C in that yep. market. Um, and then we've been doing a lot of projects to like we've been trying to launch our new product. So, yep. yeah, it's been and getting and then you it's sort of had having to rebuild the team to be much more digitally focused than oh, we have really? been before. So did you have to unfortunately uh let go of people, restructure. Yeah, so we've been rest- probably and it's taken, like, you know, we've got some people who've worked with Ed Keep Cup from the very first, from, you know, our yeah, first employees still here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been a really difficult transition for the team. Yeah, you talk about um, the stages around really looking at people and people leadership. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that because that's a really interesting journey and a challenging one that not a lot of people talk about. Like it's, you know, you're selling more product, you're everywhere, but yeah. businesses are built by people. Yeah, they're built by people and often the brands are built, the brands are such a reflection of the founder. So the brand voice, what the brand talk, talks about, like they're all reflections of my experience, my interest in sustainability and conservation, my interest in coffee and my background there. Um, you know, my interest in design and colour and creativity, all those things reflect me. But the challenge is to get yourself out of there. Like you've got to, that brand's got to then um, live its own life so that people aren't, you don't become a blocker to the growth of the business by everything sort of coming back to, well, would Abby like it or what does Abby say? It's got to be, well, what does Keep Cup, does this reflect Keep Cup's values, Keep Cup's brand? Mm. It's a challenge. Yeah. So um, you have a leadership team now? Yes. So, yeah, we so we, we were building a leadership team at the start of the pandemic and then it's sort of, you know, like it's been a, high, a pressure cooker for so many people in so yeah. many ways. So it's sort of spread out again and now we're, we're building it back up again. So we've, got, we've recruited some good people to yep. yeah. and it's forward. It's hard to find good people, eh? Yeah. What do you look for? Uh I look for I look for a connection to, to sustainability and impact yep. because it's such a big part of the DNA of the brand. And if you don't resonate with, like you don't have to know it, but if you don't resonate with that, it's not going to work. Um, I look for enthusiasm, passion, creativity, and then and and increasingly though now looking for really good skills. So yes. you know we've employed a GM in the UK who is an has has deep expertise in Amazon. Mm. So you know that's how you. So you would choose skills over attitude or attitude over skills? I don't think you can pull them apart. Like you, sometimes you do need to bring in skills that you do not have in the business because if I can't, if you can't teach, so if it's skills you can teach, sure, go for attitude every time. But if it's skills you don't have, you need to bring them in. Mm. Yeah. So talk to me about this scale up internationally. So started in Australia, you said D2C just kind of happened organically, wasn't a big focus. When you were doing the B2B play, you were doing international, correct? Or yeah, you, yep, yep, you started? Yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. So talk me, talk me through how. So our, our yeah. view was always like um, if people want the product and we have to ship it to the States, we're shipping it there because we want to build the brand. Yep. And, you know, my background is a lawyer. I used to do IP 
law. Oh, there you go. Uh, so I know that th- that'll take you so far and your yeah. best defence is your brand. So yes. we, we tr- always focused on building that. Um, we opened an office in the UK in 2010 or 11, mm. thinking we could sort of maybe cookie cut the thing and it would just, but it was a completely different market. Because mm, so coffee culture, yeah, it's so very it was, different. Yeah, very different, and it was just it was it was the beginning of the independent scene over there. Yes, um, so it was a good time to get in, but it was a much slower um, build in that market. Yes, um, and then I think as well, like, yeah, in 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 the UK, there's streets ahead of us in the systemic changes required around for sustainability, whereas here it was much more like individual action sort of caught on yes. really well. Like Australia's got the highest rate of domestic solar in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, because people are like, I want something done, I'll do it myself, whereas in the UK they, they understand more that, that, that systems need to change and you need to build systems in for circular economy. Yep, so... Talk to me about this approach around just B2B, working with corporates. So how do you open doors? How do you find if somebody has a, a great product that could work with corporates um, or, or just, just B2B in general, physical product, how do you get do- into doors? Tell me how you, how you find the decision makers. Tell me how you open those doors. Tell me, tell me about the, like the sales cycle because it's a longer lead time mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So I think, it, I mean, look, it's changed over time. Like initially it was doing a bit of a presentation and talking, you know, we had to, ex- 10 years ago, we had to explain the problem and the solution and how it would benefit their business. Yes. So, you know, we couldn't use the word single use because no one knew what it meant. And then oh. in 2018, single use is the word of the year. So, um, so now... Initially, it was about providing a solution, um, mapping a journey for um, businesses to um, remove single-use products from their offices or campuses, how how you might track that and giving some tips and tricks on that, giving them feedback, giving them posters, all that sort of thing. Yes. Um, And now it's changed. It's more, it's, it's a it's a much more straight-up product play about, well, am I going to get this brand or this brand or this brand? Like it's a well-understood and is are you guys doing calls? Is it cold email outreach? How do you how do you identify potential businesses? Probably calls. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And calls and like looking for you know looking for things where you know looking for people moving into green buildings, looking for merge. Like there's yep. moments where this is going to be a good thing to do. Yep. Um, yeah. And how do you find that? Like how do you work that out? I don't know. Looking in the paper. Yep. <laughs> so you just kind of yeah, being canvassing. Yeah, being on top of the news, yep. seeing what's going on. Like, yep. Yeah. And um, so you started with the UK, then you moved to the States, yep. had to close due to the pandemic. You guys obviously still do direct-to-consumer. And is it a bit of a balance now between direct-to-consumer and B2B? Like how do you... So, we're, I mean, I guess that we're moving more to direct-to-consumer now because, yep. you know, for a long time the cafe was a place where you sought permission for reuse, they promoted reuse. Yes. Whereas I don't think we need to, con- you know, we need to convince people less of that you can fill a, fill a reusable yeah, cup now. Yeah, it's a societal change. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's now about, well, what am I going to get? What? How am I going to look? It's, it's much more of a features and benefits sort of um, discussion and about the, the ethos of the business, like people making brand choices now rather than, you know, the work of convincing people there's a problem we're trying to solve. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. 
As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. You talked about moving to a 3PL and manufacturing and how do you work all that out? Do you guys manufacture here? You manufacture overseas? Like talk to us all through that and just, yeah, that that whole scale up play because that's difficult, right? Yeah, it's difficult. What are the lessons can you share? Yeah, and, and how um, it'll work for you guys. It's, I guess it, that's changed as well. So because we're it, because sustainability is such a big part of the business, we wanted to manufacture locally where we could. Yep. There is no, like, so we're manufacturing plastic in Australia and plastic in the UK Yep. Um, for our local markets. So all the packaging's made locally. Yes. Um, but the glass and the stainless steel, there is no manufacturing left in the world pretty much apart from China. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's now coming out of China. And then you start to be under pressure to go, well, we're making all these different bits with all these different suppliers. We're creating a bit of a headache for ourselves as to how they all yeah. fit together. And the RQC is pretty intense to make that all work. Yeah. And then you've got to make the margins work because yeah. you're running a business, yeah. right? Like that's yeah. the difficult thing too. You've got to make it self-fulfilling. How, how have you did work with that? Uh, I think it's it, it used to all be pretty static. Like you know, our, the cost of our products didn't really change in ten years, so it all just ticked over. You know, freight was freight. We could get good deals and bad deals, but now it's a real issue. Like, you know, freight's tripled, um, product costs have tripled. Like, there's a lot more thought needs to go into managing supply chain, managing inventory than we ever had to before. Mm. So. And what, uh, what advice would you give to people that are experiencing these challenges right now for founders? How, any, any lessons, any experiences you could share? Well, probably investing in those parts of the business. So we now have a supply and demand planner that we didn't have before. So, yes. so you've got someone who's really thinking it like, you know, there's, you start a business and there's a lot of stuff you just do with your left hand yeah. and it, that changes over time. And I think in this environment that's going to increasingly be uh, important and having good relationships with your suppliers so that they're, you know, we're, um, we put recycled Triton, which is a plastic material, into our products and it's really hard to get. Mm. So you need suppliers who are going to be looking out for you to so that you, you get the material over uh, uh, other products or that sort of thing. So that it does become, you know, as, as recycled content and all these things start to become more commonplace, there, there will be challenges around the, the sourcing of that material as well. Yeah. So um, what if, though, you cannot afford to in, hire somebody internally in that space and you're just in the early stages of your journey? What would you do? Oh, then I would not. If I was in early stages, I would not outsource it. I've, I mean, I've heard a lot of stories where people have got a, a, a an intermediary to go and, you know, help source something or do yes. something. I 
so we've always, apart from the last couple of years, we've always gone and met our suppliers and yes. we've sat down at a table and we've talked to them and we've helped, you know, we've gone and watched the production line and that, to me, that investment has always paid off mm. very well. Because of the relationship you've built as well? You build the relationship, you 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 build an understanding of what your needs are as a from from the product you because there's a lot of QC there's a lot of refinement it's so you've got they've got to understand what you're trying to do um, and then you've got to understand their constraints so you might be going I want it done this way and they're like well it can't be done because of the way this tool works or like you really have to dig into the the, the nuts and bolts of it to go well okay well how about we do it this way and it's hard to do that via email via a third party like you really need to be there sort of on the factory floor to understand how you can, you know, put a QC process in place, for example, or, you know. Mm. Yeah, so um, you said something interesting to me, uh, the fact that you, you come from a legal background. <laughs> um, so no doubt about it, you guys trademark the design of Keep yes. Cup. yeah. And inherently still there's a lot of copycats. Yeah. How have you dealt with that? Because I think this is a real pain for some businesses and it's a real fear as well for others, the stealing of ideas and all these different things. And like if you are doing well, people will copy your physical product. So talk to me about that because I think that, you know, you guys created this category. Yes. And now people are copying it. And, you know, how do you work through that? Not only from a competitive standpoint, but also... Psychologically. A, yeah, yeah, a mindset <laughs> standpoint. I'd love to hear because this is yeah, a real problem a that real founders problem. face and yeah. I think you've got some great experiences that you could share with, with everyone. Yeah, I think one of the um, things that wasn't really planned but has been of enormous benefit to us is because we manufactured in Australia and because the lid, which is the most iconic and complex part of the product was made here yes we sort of flew under the radar because that lid goes across all the products no one really had a handle on the volume we were doing so our attract you know like if if you've got a manufacturer who's making your entire product line and they see your volumes going up they're that's how the like the copying can sometimes start not at, at the consumer level it's happening i think it's happening often at manufacturing level yeah got you I think having the part, having our parts made in different places, made us not be copied for quite a long time before people caught on to the success of yes. the product. Yes. It's now because as the business has grown and the category, there's now a category for reusables. That's probably not that, that could be a disadvantage to us, particularly in this fragmented supply chain. Yes. Um, in terms of the copycats, um, we use a. a a company called Red Points who just scour the web for copycats and will pull them pull them down because it yes. is like whack-a-mole. Yes. Like you, you, it's just got to happen all the time. Um, if there are some small players doing something, we generally leave them alone. Yes. But if we have a brand um, that copies us or copies our tra- or uses our trademark or does something else, we are onto them. Yes. And we have had to take legal action. Yes. Um, to protect the brand. It has Have there been times where it's consumed you? Well, yeah, the legal case was consuming and a huge distraction. And this was a big company that knew, you know, they they apply a scorched earth policy. They know that you are just you, you know, I'm the owner, the founder going into the legal. Yeah. And they've got some lawyer. Yes. Um, Yeah, so that's taxing and pretty frustrating. Uh, 
And then in terms of psychologically, I, I think it's just part of, yeah, it's part of the journey, isn't it? If you're... I guess you've got to think, well, what's the alternative that you're not successful so no one's copying you? Like it's mm. you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And, and I think you've just got to keep innovating. What were the outcomes of, of, of these legal cases? You guys always won or? Well, it, it got settled, but I'd say we won. Yeah, okay. And if you knew what you knew now, would have you fought? Yeah. Okay, interesting um, because that's often something. But I knew I, knew I was never going to, I mean, I knew between all of us here, I knew we'd never go to court about it, but I knew we had to be really, really tough on this case because I knew, you know. It would set a standard. It sets a standard to go don't mess with these people because they will fight. So, mm. yeah, there was, there was a strategy there around how we would approach that. Like we had to go in and go hard. Yep, got you. You know, got, well, it was Gloria Jeans. It was in the yeah. Finn Review. So, yeah. yeah. That distraction, yeah, it's in the early days, right, was, was like it's so difficult because you just want to focus on growing your business and you've got to fight people that are ripping off your, your hard work <laughs> and ideas. Like, yeah. What advice would you give to people when, when these things happen? You're in the early days and a big, uh, a big company just rips you off. Uh, well, you've got to have a, you've, I guess you've got to have a bit of a, a brand. There's an um, expression which I'll probably muck up and have to re-edit by um, a Scottish philosopher called Thomas Carlyle, which I've always loved, which is the merit of originality is not novelty, it's sincerity. And so tapping into, well, why have you made the product? What's it for? Who's your audience? you know, what makes you different? Because in the end, it is just a cup. It is just a water bottle. Like mm. it is just a product. So why is your why should your product exist? Like there's a, you know, you have to also ask some tough questions. So talk to me about B Corp. You guys were one of the first in Australia. And, uh, you know, one of my mentors, uh, Daryl Wade, I think you guys know each other. He's, they're a B Corp as well. And Intrepid, Intrepid oh, Travel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um yeah, talk to me. Um, so that was we, my brother was um, doing a deal with Whole Foods in the US and uh, he was, and I think it was, I can't remember if it was before or after, but yeah, that was a, that was a clincher for us that um, Whole Foods wanted a B Corp to be, um, wanted to deal with a B Corp. But I guess for me, it was about, again, this question of people and what is an organisation and how does an organisation run and you know, suddenly from solving a problem and building a product, you're yes. now the, running an organisation and what what's the culture? How should it look? How should it feel? What do you want to do? Like that's always been the big challenge for me personally and B Corp provided some scaffolding there about how to do that, how to build it. Um, they're always giving you best practice about, um, you know, so they're looking at um, stakeholders, stakeholders um, employees, the environment, the community to measure your business performance. Um, so that, that provides a bit of a North Star in terms of how a good organisation behaves and, and performs. And have you seen external benefits from being B Corp? Absolutely, yeah. We've seen it become a it's a good it's it's a, a choice point for customers. Really? Yeah, and a choice point for employees. Mm, interesting. Okay, and. Around sustainability, how do you juggle that idea of having a business for good, um, you know, really focused on sustainability versus the commercial aspects of building a business that is commercially viable, profitability, you know, being able to support your team, your staff, like all of that, that engine, right, that economic engine that drives things forward. 
Um, you, when you've got external pressures around, yeah. like we talked about, it's supply chain, costs, products, freight, fulfillment, you know, 3PA, all these different things. How do you work through that? Because um, I think that's a really difficult thing for some founders, especially when they want to create a, a product first and foremost, which has sustainability or, or this idea of a, you know, for good or social good in mind. Um, it's a it's a real ongoing challenge, and I think, you know, I've been working with Monique Conheady who f- founded FlexiCar, and yeah. it's oh, it's yeah. this it's a similar thing where you you go into it to solve a problem and make the world less impactful and more sustainable, and the byproduct is you've created a category, and you've actually created now there's like you've got the problem of disposable cups and now you've got the problem of reusable cups that there's so many so many in the market it's such a cluttered competitive market now like how often are people using them are we are we are we solving the problem anymore is i guess what keeps me really yeah a bit like the world does not need any more stuff that is super clear um to how do you, but then how do you juggle this need to you know own beautiful things, make beautiful things, buy beautiful things, that creative part of our life needs to be nurtured as well. So how do you walk that balance? And then also, yeah, you're right, I want to win. I want to be the best. Like, Yeah, you, know, you want to compete. Yeah, I want to compete. Yeah. So it is, it's, it is a hard juggle to... Any advice you'd give? It's probably having a sense of, I guess, feeling that sense of connection to what you're doing and, and tapping into that because I think if you go too far in any direction you you become disconnected from enjoying what you do or from um you know for a long time I really didn't need to think about the financial performance of the business and we were doing yeah we were doing great things we're giving money to Bob Brown Foundation with Sea Shepherd we're doing these things and then suddenly the pandemic is like oh yeah we actually need to focus on you know generate you know it's a yeah that requires some attention yeah wow so because that has become a you know commercial, it's it's I guess more highlighted now and spotlighted and costs and every dollar counts. Um, do you ever feel this sense of guilt having to manage that balance? Not a sense of guilt, but it's probably just like, are you, am I still connected to what um, drives me? Am I still connected to things that make? that I enjoy, that I want to do in the business? What do I feel I have a contribution to make? They're the questions I guess I ask. And so talk to me about the future. <laughs> what do the next 10 years look like for Keep Cup? Well, the, the, the big challenge now is to operate, I guess, this, this idea of team. And, yep. and, you know, like I am, I feel like now I am a bit of a risk to the business, not in terms of what I contribute, but I need to now build like professionalise the business in a way yep. to take me out of the, the day-to-day of that business so it can really flourish and grow because there's skills now that I don't have that I need to, to to really build into the team. So that's sort of been my key focus. Yes. Um, for a long time people were like, oh, how can you have a business with just one product? It's just a cup. And I'm like, well, we're solving a problem with our cup. So, you know, that's what we do. But I think they're, you know, because of the change to the market, because reuse is now a category we do need to expand our product range in order to survive mm, and thrive. Yeah. Um, you know, and in the dark days of the pandemic, I'm like, do I just want to go down and chain myself to a tree? And, you know, <laughs> and it's like, well, actually, that's probably not the best use of my time and skills. So, you know, how do I how do I build 
keep carp to to be able to do what it's it's done so well over the years and and really push for the change that we want to see in the world um support great causes and great people and partner with other brands so yeah yeah. talk me through um i guess uh your skills What, what are your strengths and uh is it people leadership? Is it no. product development? Yeah, people leadership. Founder, found, that transition of founder CEO. Oftentimes, the founders their strength is in people leadership. No, it's, it's not because yeah. you too. You are you. Your strength has been like. I think one of your questions was like, "What have you had to sacrifice?" It's like the amount of of my brain I've had to sacrifice to thinking about cups. Is you know that's a big sacrifice I've made. Um, so yeah, it's that. It, I think entrepreneurs have that, you know, really focus and belief, and you know, we've got a vision of where we want to take things, and we're going there. I'm going there, whether you're coming with me or not. So you know, you do need a team behind you that is going, yeah, guys, yep. <laughs> come along. This is a good place to go. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So your strengths is more just on the product. I think it's on the product. It's on um, the the brand and the comms and understanding yeah. and 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 being able to walk that line between sustainability and product sales um, and design and fun. Like it, it yeah. is a it's a it's quite a tightrope to walk. So yes. understanding and I, I think I've got a good pulse of um, I don't know the 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 temperature of the temperature of the times. I guess of what mm. what messages are going to resonate, what aren't, what, where where we're at. But I mean, as you get older, that gets more challenging and then uh we'll work towards wrapping up i could talk to you all day around <laughs> keep car product development business people leadership you name it uh but you said product lines how so if somebody's got a product single just got one one skew really just one skew that they're focused on and they want to add in a new line or a new you know a primary product or secondary product um how should they approach that and how are you approaching that? So we have done a lot of iteration on um, materials yep. and pretty much the same product, but it's thank you for asking the question. So we've just launched um, a bottle. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So That's it, awesome. And the reason this works for us as a business and a brand is like, well, do we need to put another bottle into the world? Mm. And I guess when I was travelling, I would mm. think, well, I've got to carry my um, keep cup and I've got to carry my water bottle. That's mm. two quite big things to put in my bag. So we've put this split in the middle of the bottle so you can see that um, oh. it's like two lid, like so you can put a bottle lid on or you can put a sipper cup That's so lid cool. on. So when you're travelling, you would just take, you know, the three parts mm. and move them awesome. over. So, um, yeah, this is our new. And I guess um, it works for Keep Cup because, as in, it, you know, we're riffing off our, our key audience, which is yes. the coffee consumer, yes. and then we're moving into to, to water. And, yes. I, and that's how we'll continue, I guess, to, yeah, to innovate. Yeah, got you. That's yeah. really clever. and. How did you come up with that idea? How much testing did you do? How much of the speaking of the audience did you do or existing customer base? Talk me through that. How did you test that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Didn't know. Um, So it was more around thinking about the problem. Look, so not not focus groups, but we're always talking to customers. It's yeah. more um, the insights you gather from talking to people, what their pain points are, what what the issues, looking at what other um, competitors are doing, seeing what their customer, like looking through customer feedback is really a great, yep. well, it is customer insight. So yep. um, we know that hygiene is a big pain point for a water bottle. So yes. this is something you can split it in half and put it in the dishwasher. You're never going to get a mouldy, yes. smelly 
uh, bottle. So it goes to our brand values, which is making things that are, you know, built to last and, and using them for a long time. So yeah. it fits with what. I think that's the important thing. If you're really clear about what your brand stands for, what its values are, then you can you can extend your product lines if they fit within that. And how do you know when the right time is to extend or add more products? Because more SKUs, more complications. Yep. Yep. And Good then, question. And then you you know keep cup. You wanted to maintain the branding. Yeah. So you talk to me about that. Uh, yeah, it'll still. I think it'll still be keep cup. There's a great deal of equity in that um, brand name. Um, so I think it's around, look, this has taken a long time for us to develop. We would have been better if that could have happened at the start of the pandemic, um, but it, it didn't. Uh, I think it's when you you feel that you're, I think it's when you're, when the product is, when the product you have is successful, it's time to start planning the next product because you do, it will, it might take a long time. So you've got to be, yeah. you know. And and how do you know what is successful? Like, can you define that? Right? Is it a hundred thousand units? Is it? Oh, I don't know. Depends. Well, it depends at what. It depends what it is. Depends. Well, what, like maybe think about the minimum, whatever the minimum order quantity is for the particular manufacturing you're doing, because they're all different. Yep. Then maybe it's looking at well, how long is it going to take me to sell them? If it's going to take me like I don't know, less than six months, or I don't yeah. know, it depends. You on your own measure of success, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's such a tricky thing, right? Because focus is so key. Yeah. And it's fun. It is very fun to create physical products yeah. and new ones. Yes, it is. And it's a trap. It's a money trap as well. Yeah. Because you've got to spend money on developing it. You've got to. You got to brand like it's. Like I think it's a really difficult question to answer, right? Yeah, it is. I, and I've given you a glib answer, but maybe if I thought about it more, I'd say, well, we're Keep Cup's 13 years old yeah. and we've just gone into bottles. But you wish you had done it sooner? Probably a couple of, like, yeah, probably pre-pandemic would have been handy. Yep. Um, Only because of the, the external. Ban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. ban, uh, the ban on re- reuse. But I know, yeah, probably could have been a bit quicker, but I think... Because we were so clear about what our mission was, what we wanted people to, why we wanted people to use, you know, not use disposable cups, because we actually want, you know, our vision is for them to be not used at all, disposable cups. Yes. And we know that's where the, we know that's where it's got ahead. Yes. Um, it's been, you know, we've just worked on that. But I guess, you know, when you talk about the counterfeits, probably the thing I got to get a bit about is like, oh God, I just did all this work to open up the market, and then, you know, mm. everyone comes in with their. Yeah. You know, for a long time it was keep cup versus disposable cups. There were mm. no, you know, there were no real competitors to us. So Yeah, and that's where your need to compete is, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you just gotta switch yeah. hats. A bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I respect that. Um couple last questions. Uh when you look at back at your career, what do you want your legacy to be? My career legacy. Oh, I don't know. I don't really I'm not really fast. Maybe that 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 I, you know, that we kick started that that change from discard to reuse yeah that's no i do i do care that's important to me yeah awesome thank you we're going to move to the hot seat round rapid fire questions yeah first one is when is work fulfilling uh when you feel when you got that sense of momentum and you feel things are moving and grooving it's really satisfying what's your coffee order uh if i'm being family loyal it's a flat white with oat milk (laughs) <laughs> but sometimes it's just a flat white. <laughs> if you could give yourself, your younger self, one piece of advice going back in time, what would it be and why? It would be 
It will be have a bit of faith. Have a bit of faith in yourself. Have a bit of faith in others. To, you know, uh, you know, part of my success is hanging on to things pretty tightly, but there's been times when that's not been a, such a great thing to do. Mm. Why? Because sometimes you need to let go and just let other people step into the space or let things unfold without forcing an outcome. Yeah. What's something you've learnt today? Oh, that's it. I thought you were going to ask me about the who would I like to meet at my... <laughs> it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Hey, don't, don't drop the gun. Uh, what was the question again? Who, who would I... What's something you've learnt today? Oh, what's something I've learnt today? I've, I've, what I've learned today talking to you and thinking about the questions is yeah, how much of the business is about products and manufacturing because <laughs> in my brain it's often just about brand, people and sustainability and I forget that it's driven by a product. So, yeah, it's a, been a very good reminder. There you go. <laughs> Last question. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? It would, I thought about this this morning. It would be Anita Roddick from The Body Shop. Because I think that she was really genuine in her passion for, you know, sustainable beauty products, no plastic, no nasties, and and in a way, it's it was very successful. But I wonder what she really thought about that success and what that sort of meant for the, you know, what that transformed the beauty industry into, and whether she'd be pleased about that. Okay, awesome. We'll wrap there. But thank you so much for your time, Abigail. This is awesome. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.